Follow on Twitter at TweetJHood. What's up and welcome in. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Open phone lines for you as always. 312-332-ESPN. 332-3776 is the telephone number. Follow me on Instagram, IGJHood, as well as the station, ESPN Chicago. Follow at ESPN underscore Chicago. I hope that you've had a really solid Wednesday. We know what's going on in our world. Uh, I was watching the news just before we came on tonight, and um, the news is grim. It doesn't necessarily mean that that defines us as individuals. Um, if you know someone that's going through COVID-19 or, or going through some tough times, make sure that you give them a call. Make sure that you keep them in your prayers. And at this time, we need to just be able to come together. Um, the reason why that that uh, I'm here, is, as I mentioned last night, it's cathartic for me to be able to be on the air during this very tough time to talk to you about what's going on in sports because um, I can escape for at least three hours here until 10 o'clock talking to you about um, the sports that we talk about on a nightly basis. And again, I hope everything is well with you uh, and your family during this very difficult time. So it is amazing, isn't it? It is amazing that a ball player who began his career in 1984 is as relevant now as he was back then. That was 36 years ago. I was in sixth grade in 1984. The story of Michael Jordan will be on full display this month for that docu-series on ESPN. I don't know why they've changed the names of these things over the years. It's still documentary to me, but it's a docu-series because it's a 10-part event that will be on ESPN uh, coming up in a few weeks to really dive into the Bulls' championship run. And just like Kobe Bryant and just like Charles Barkley or Magic Johnson or Larry Bird or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Isaiah Thomas or Dominic Wilkins, Michael was a shining star. He was just someone who was known by just one name. I mentioned like Kobe and Charles and... Magic and Larry and Kareem, you just knew these players by one name, which really was the genius of the players as well as the genius of the marketing by David Stern during that time of making sure there was a star in every market. It was very important for everyone to know who these NBA players were at the time because we're coming out of the Larry O'Brien era in the NBA, the smoke-filled armories, where the NBA had a drug problem and the games were on tape delay. You can even see them live back then. That just seems like that was eons ago and so primitive during that time. You could turn on NBA TV now and they're showing old games from the 70s and 80s and it just seems like it's so, so long ago compared to where we are in 2020 in the digital age. But Michael was a shining star, just like those individual players. And every market has a star, and the star in our city was Michael. But you got to remember the beginning of it, because I remember this as a kid reading about this in magazines and periodicals. The beginning of Michael Jordan when he was drafted, it was just an odd thing at the time, because the Bulls are trying to build around a two-guard. And... The media laughed at Jerry Krause and laughed at Rod Thorne, the front office brass for the Bulls during that time. And they were laughing because it was still known as a big man's game. 
in some ways it still is, except the, the big man now is uh, a stretch four or stretch five that can pay dividends from the outside because, you know, the game is about the three-point shot. But during that time, to be able to build around a little guy at the time, as was known, the point guard or the short or the, the uh or a small forward or a shooting guard, that was just unheard of because everything, didn't matter what plotting center that you could draft or dig up from someplace, if that guy had size, that guy had an opportunity to put a uniform on and make some money because it was about size. The bigger, the better. But that changed because Michael Jordan, who, if you ever met him, was probably six four and a half, six five, maybe maybe six six on a good day, depending on what shoes he was wearing. He was the ultimate for me as the best basketball player that I've ever seen. But again, we have to take a look at the six years of frustration as a Chicago Bull. He had to be able to change Chicago from a losing culture. He had to be able to work with the right coach. We had several coaches, numerous coaches, before the Bulls settled in on Phil Jackson after the Doug Collins administration. And also balancing basketball with business. Even during that time in the early 80s in which Michael Jordan was selling McDonald's and going back and forth with uh, Larry Bird for, for those McDonald's commercials, you know, during that time, you still had to be able to balance those commercials, all that ad time, all the magazine um, stories and all the attention with trying to win a championship. Because how many times have we seen great players or good players that were on the cover of magazines or or different newspapers back in the day, how they were exalted but didn't do much or didn't do enough or never was a champion. Well, Michael had to be able to bounce all those things. But the story in that docuseries that we're going to see in a couple of weeks, I hope that out of all the things that we see, I hope one of the things that is talked about with all the dirt that will be dug up and all the stories that many have never heard before. I'm hoping that the story will be about trust. As we talk about the Bulls with Jonathan Hood on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. I'm hoping that those stories of trust is part of this 10-part docuseries. Because the six titles in eight years does not happen without trust from Jordan. It all started with trust, right? Because I remember a time when Scottie Pippen was a bench player coming off the bench from Central Arkansas. It's just like this thin player out of this rural college. Like, what is he going to do for this Bulls team? He was behind Brad Sellers at the time. And he came off the bench, and nobody really knew what Pippen was. I mean, it's one thing for Jerry Krause, the GM at the time, to handpick a player out of nowhere, not from a blue blood college, but from Central Arkansas. And he comes in, and he grows into a player that Jordan can trust. Horace Grant, who out of Clemson was a really solid player as a number three guy on this team, is an ambassador now for the Chicago Bulls, but he's beloved in this city for some for his hard work and his determination and just being able to play with Michael Jordan and to play with Scottie Pippen. 
And then you take a look at John Paxson. John Paxson was uh, kind of a, a veteran that was at, in certain places around the NBA, and he hits one of the biggest shots in the history of the Bulls franchise. You needed a big shot. John was able to hit that big shot for you. B.J. Armstrong, a guy that came along from Iowa, same thing. He was able to come along and hit big shots for the Bulls. Stacy King is an interesting story because I watched Stacy on CBS in college. Stacy was a guest on this program, by the way, or a couple of days ago, and we talked about the Bulls. You can go in the archives of the Under the Hood podcast and check out my conversation with Stacy. He's got had some really uh, powerful thoughts about the Bulls and their future with Zach Levine. But nonetheless, talking to Stacy uh, about um, his time with the Bulls, because <laughs> we used to host a talk show together on um, on Sirius XM. Uh, NBA radio. We used to work, I think, four, like three, four times a week. And didn't matter if he was on the at home or on the road. We'd always do a show. And the one line that always resonated with me the most was, Stacy said, "No one could stop me in the NBA. The only person that could stop me defensively was Phil Jackson." Meaning that Phil Jackson did not allow Stacy to be a starter on a regular basis or a guy that can have meaningful minutes because Phil wanted Stacy to be on the defensive end coming off that bench with some of those other players. But Stacy, I mentioned growing up watching him in college, that guy was unstoppable. It was hard to stop that guy offensively. He was a terrific player out of Oklahoma. Then there's Will Perdue from uh, Vanderbilt, a very solid player when he's in college. They came off the bench a lot for that Bulls team. And Craig Hodges, one of the best three-point shooters I saw in that era. Um, Craig was was terrific. Could have started for a lot of teams, but came off the bench a lot. Sometimes started for the team. And Bill Cartwright, who was already established as a center before Patrick Ewing came into the league. Cartwright was that man in the middle for the Knicks and had that unusual shot and was kind of a go-to guy, giving them 15, 16 points a game. Without looking at the stats, it was something like that. He was double digits on a regular basis, Bill. Uh, And toward the end of his career, Clearly, he paid dividends for the Bulls because he had those sharp elbows and uh, was a a really good player, but he was not a go-to guy. Jordan was a go-to guy, and eventually Pippen was a go-to guy. So the point is, is that in all of the conversation that will happen leading into this docuseries, I hope that trust is part of it, because without trust, uh, then you're looking at Michael Jordan differently. You're looking at Michael Jordan like you look at... Russell Westbrook today in 2020 because it's one thing to be able to put up a lot of shots and have a lot of great moments that we can see on YouTube or on Twitter, but it's another thing to be able to make others better and ultimately win a championship championship is not promised for everybody because in those first few years for the bulls, when the early years where Jordan is working with a veteran aging George Gervin, the Iceman actually played for the Bulls in his 13th year, uh, an aging uh, Artis Gilmore, 13, 14 years in the league, with Quentin Daly, Orlando Woolrich, who was a terrific player out of Notre Dame, by the way, and was the guy for the Bulls before Jordan got there. Brad Sellers, who I mentioned, Dave Corzine. Dave Corzine is the only player uh, in Chicago that was booed in college and the pros with DePaul and the Bulls. It's hard to do when you're, you're booed in two places, and he was. Um, but it, it is, it's interesting to watch who Michael Jordan was and who he is even now because of all the things that Jordan did going back to the beginning, where, as I mentioned, was a spokesperson for McDonald's and Gatorade and Haynes and Chevy 
uh, and Coke and being able to eventually have his own Jordan brand that still matters today. And then for, while his time, his time with the Bulls was great in six titles and eight years, even for millennials that had not watched him play, Tyler Aki is part of our staff on the Under the Hood show, and he's a millennial, and his eyes are as big as saucers watching Jordan in those playoff games with the Knicks. Sean was in there with them, and he's like, Sean and I have seen all these games. But then for Tyler, it's like fresh to see not the championship, but just the journey of the Bulls getting there and just watching Jordan and just watching how basketball was played during that time. And for him, it's just like it's brand new and fresh uh, to see how Jordan was able to not only get his, but make others better. And so out of all these things we see from Jordan, the six titles, as I mentioned, and all of the things, and we got to mention the philanthropic things that Jordan has brought to the table even back then and now, how he continues to give money to great causes, and he is one of a ton of billionaires or millionaires in there. I think he's making well over two or three billion dollars because of endorsements and everything else that he's done. Um, Jordan has done a terrific job of making himself not only a great basketball player, but also a businessman. The only black mark on Jordan is that he's one of the worst owners in the NBA right now. (laughs) Like all those things that's going on right now is it's like, it falls off the table. Like, yeah, but your Hornets are terrible. And your Bobcats before that was terrible. Um, But all that, it's also the different acts of Jordan, right? College Jordan, Bulls Jordan, uh, retires a couple times, comes back to the Wizards, and even at the end was averaging somewhere between 17, 18 points a game toward the end when he was done playing with the Washington Wizards and wanted to be an owner in the NBA. And it's great to see Jordan as an owner. It's just his team's not very good, and you don't see a ton, ton of players trying to clamor to uh, play in the triangle and playing in the uh, with the Charlotte Hornets. But all those things are positives for the for Jordan because the story is amazing. And hopefully in this docu-series we get all of it. And even some of the off-the-record stuff I've heard over the years, hopefully we'll get some of that as well. I'll ask you this question, and you can hit me up on Twitter if you care to, twitter.com, tweet jhood, or put it on my Instagram, igjhood. I'd love to know from you, what do you want to see the most in this docu-series for Michael Jordan. Is there something in particular that you are not aware of or a story that you'd like to see revisited uh, in this uh, Jordan docu-series that's still to come? So I want to get your thoughts on that. 312-332-ESPN. You can call or, as I mentioned, leave me a tweet, twitter.com, tweet jhood, or on Instagram, igjhood. Uh, Coming up next, there is someone who covered Jordan very closely that has some memories of Michael Jordan as a player as again, this docu-series right around the corner will kind of delve into Jordan, the player, especially in the early days of the Bulls. That's coming up next. It's Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Chicago's home for sports. Stream ESPN 1000 easily on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. You're listening to Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. Have you downloaded that thing? You downloaded the ESPN Chicago app. It's pretty nice. 
whether it's on Android or iPhone. You can be able to download the ESPN Chicago app. You can listen live to the shows, and you can go to the podcast as well, to your favorite ESPN 1000 show, like Under the Hood. Look, I work weeknights between 7 and 10, and even though during the stay-at-home, you still might be doing stuff with your family or going from place to place, you still have an opportunity to hear my podcast, so you have no choice. If you're not listening between 7 and 10, okay, but you have the podcast, so check it out, Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood, and check it out whenever you care to. Every episode of our program is right there on the ESPN Chicago app. So glad to have you in. Uh, By the way, every night at 8 o'clock, we give you something with the NFL Draft of the Bears. We've got a very special guest coming up uh, at 8 o'clock as we do every night talking to you as we get closer and closer to the NFL Draft. Uh, and what the Bears could do. The popularity of Jordan is something that is kind of a miss. It's kind of a miss for me because, as much as I loved Michael Jordan and watching this Bulls team growing up, I know because as you grow older, especially in this business, and you talk about the perception of the Bulls around the country, you don't have such a myopic view of well, everybody on my block and everybody in the city, everybody in the state loves Michael Jordan. That doesn't necessarily mean everybody loved Jordan. <laughs> the popularity of Jordan uh, was all over the globe. There's no doubt, but there are certain markets that did not like Jordan, did not like the idea that the Bulls uh, captured six titles in eight years. They held the uh, NBA championship hostage for a long time. You know, it's, it's funny you get many, especially Bulls fans, that will complain about the Warriors' run of their championships or watching what the Miami Heat did or just other markets that win championships. But when the Bulls did it, it's great. Of course. Of course, it's your team. But the entire NBA is built on legacies and dynasties. It's not like I win a championship, then you win a championship, and then the other guy wins a championship. It's built on dynasties, and the Bulls had one, one of the greatest in the history of this game. Uh, But keep in mind that there is this dismay and this disrespect that still goes on for LeBron James because he's not Michael Jordan. I figured this out a while ago, that... The reason why that there are some that look at LeBron James and believe that he's not a great player or don't want to put him in their top 10, top 15, whatever, is because he's not Michael Jordan. And there's so many that would love to see those days of Jordan, the way he played the game, um, just the attitude that he had as a basketball player. So many people are just envious of the fact that, Man, Michael Jordan once existed, but you got to remember, that's just a once-in-a-lifetime situation. Like, I don't know if we'll ever see a player quite like Michael Jordan. Now, I understand for some millennials that this era's Jordan is LeBron James or the late Kobe Bryant for you. And by the way, that's never an argument for me. I know Ryan Hollins, who's a friend of this program that comes on frequently, loves to talk about how LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan. I'm, I will never get caught in that conversation because if that's how you feel, that's how you feel. Uh, and it's not about ring chasing or how many rings one has versus the other. It just comes down to taste. I think that Jordan is, is, was the greatest that I've seen because that's the era I watched. And others will say it's Kareem or others will say it's another player. It's fine. I've I've got no beef with that. It's not like we love a good, healthy sports argument. I just know that what I know is the best. And anyone else says it's someone else, it's fine. But if if there's, and we get this at the barbershop all the time, it'll be a young guy, 20, 21 years old, that will talk about LeBron James being the best. And it's kind of like, cool. 
Cool, because you didn't see the, the ebb and flow of Jordan from the beginning like I did and what it took to win a championship and everything he scraped and clawed for to be able to win a championship. The disrespect of LeBron James or Kobe Bryant or Russell Westbrook, to me, is, is out of bounds. All these guys are great. All these players play at a high level. And so I, I just don't – I never – I never – look at that as something that's a positive conversation. I just know that Jordan's great. And this is why he's got a docu-series coming out in a couple of weeks on ESPN. It's going to be very interesting. Is there something that you'd like to see on this docu-series? Something that, a story that you'd want to know more about when it comes to Jordan and the Bulls? Uh, get your thoughts here on Twitter, twitter.com, tweet Jay Hood. So, I talked to someone who covered the Chicago Bulls from the beginning, from the time that Jordan uh, came into the league to his first championship, and that is friend of mine, Terry Bores. So Terry Bores was on this program not too long ago, and we talked about a number of things around the NBA, but I had Terry on the show, who is retired now, living in Tampa, uh, is a longtime talk show host and columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times, covering the Bulls at the time. But I wanted to get Terry's thoughts about his his days covering Jordan, because the early, the early years leading into the championship was always interesting to me. So here's Terry with his thoughts on Jordan. Doug. We push you to the limit. And, I mean, he knew how great Michael was. There's no doubt about that. He knew his greatness. But yet he always felt like, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to make him prove it to me every day because I'm never going to have his team ahead. Never going to have his team ahead. You know, Jordan would just get furious when they'd lose a practice game and he'd know the score was wrong. Right. <laughs> and he, you know, there's some guys that might react better to that than Michael did. Michael was not one of them, you know, and I think that that really spurred the whole thing on that, that lack of a relationship between those two, or at least a troubled relationship probably led to Doug's and, and then, you know, terrific analyst, you know, I, I wouldn't trade that for anything. We wouldn't listen to him analyze games. Mm-hmm. And there's just nobody like this dude. And you sit down with him. It's the same thing. Nice. He's like a basketball encyclopedia. I mean, he is unbelievable. People like this guy and that guy I said, no, Sit down with Doug Collins sometime. Let him talk to you about basketball, and you'll find out some stuff. But in terms of what he did, how we, you know, treated players and so forth, that I, 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 you know, I know, I know for sure he rubbed Jordan the wrong way. And once you do that, Michael does not forget either. He's not one of those guys that say, "Ah, yeah, he had a laugh at my face, and I had a laugh at my expense the other day, huh, Doug?" <laughs> no, no, he, he approached you with a hammer. I mean, he, he didn't say, "Yeah, it's yeah, pretty funny what you did." He didn't find any of it amusing no you know what i mean he did not find that amusing any of it <laughs> ever <laughs> ever he took those practice games like they were the nba finals like it was a game seven wow that's how he played that's how he practiced all, all that to he be was. all that to be gene banks and orlando yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, right. that's no that's no hard task i mean it's so it's, you wouldn't think so it's would hard, you? hard to beat I mean, it's hard to beat reggie theus with two blondes on each arm and a, and a mink coat while he was while he was practicing <laughs> reggie reggie was a piece of work too oh boy that's a piece of work there you know there's always going to be a little bit of a relationship problem with someone because if you're going to report and and do what you know and and do it there's always going to be a rubbing you the wrong way but not not since then. I mean, I think a lot of them have understood that that was my job, and they they know they know now. Mm-hmm. We're going to Reggie Theus, and I used to clash once in a while because he was a guy that would come into a game and always ask how many points and assists he had. Oh. <laughs> Talked about Rosenberg. Oh yeah. Oh man. 
<laughs> that's Reggie Theus, sure, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's that's it. How many? Hey, how many points? Do I have? How many assists? Rebounds? What's my number so far? And it's like, dude, you're you're getting beat by 25 points. I mean, just go back in the game and play. What do you, what do you care? I mean, it doesn't it doesn't matter. But that was that was Reggie. You know, I loved Reggie. Reggie and I had a great relationship. But I mean, that you know, there's little things that you have to mention. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to do it. And you're you're. Because if you could do stuff to some of those guys, they'd never come back. Reggie came back. He was fine. Mm-hmm. Reggie would share a lot of stuff with me that I couldn't use, but he would, he would share stuff. And, and Jordan, too. Jordan and I always got along. Um, we, didn't, we didn't have any trouble with each other at all. And, um, you know, I know he's difficult, and, and uh, at times the Hall of Fame speech disappointed me. Yep. I mean, I, I understand that edge when you're a play. I get it. I get it. That's what made you great. But man, oh man, dude, don't be yelling at people at the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that was the real. That was the that was yeah. the that was the real Michael. That was the guy that came out. You know, the competitor. Yep. So that's yeah, that's, that's what he was. That's what he is. So, so yeah, I. I uh, but you know, he and I always got along from the first jump because I, I, I can say I was the only one in this town that was really excited about it that he was coming. I mean, everybody else was yeah the bulls who cares but i i thought oh my god have you seen it do you have a tv do you own one <laughs> right. have you ever used one <laughs> so this part of my conversation with terry Boers. if you go to the under the hood show podcast you can be able to find the entire interview i've done several with terry regarding uh his days as a beat reporter uh for the under the hood podcast jonathan hood on espn 1000 and the espn chicago app so i think that the the jordan a docu-series is going to be very interesting. I think it's going to be very interesting to, to watch indeed because of the stories that you see. Now, you know, the one thing that I normally don't do is compare eras when it comes to what we saw during the time of the heyday of Jordan versus what we see now because the games are different. So it's hard to be able to compare the eras. But I'm wondering whether or not we're going to have that LeBron James docuseries and how different it will be from what we're going to see here in a couple of weeks because LeBron James is going through an era that Jordan has not. And the, the social media era it has been very strong and very polarizing toward LeBron James because LeBron James hasn't won enough championships for some people or LeBron James and his choices that he's made of going from Cleveland and doing all he could to be able to win a championship in Cleveland the first time around and decides I'm going to exercise my free agency when, when social media turned on LeBron James because of him exercising his free agency, I said, okay, now we're really in a really weird vortex right now uh, as a sports society in that someone decides he wants to leave and that person is not allowed to leave because it's just not a good look to exercise your free agency because people don't either don't know what it means or don't understand the word free. So LeBron James does that. And so him going to the Miami heat and then winning a couple of championships there he was not able to get the type of stroke that he wanted there with Pat Riley wanting a coaching change and and the things that happened in Miami. And then he goes back to Cleveland, wins a championship, now Los Angeles. There's a lot of layers to his story, LeBron James' story. Um, that'll be very interesting if that becomes a docuseries at some point, too. And now you look at LeBron, and he's doing so much off the court that whatever he's doing on the court there is no distraction because he's still doing HBO shows and he's got his name on television shows and movies and everything like that. So it's interesting. He's actually doing more off the court than Jordan ever had. 
what is which is kind of amazing that he's got a lot of pe- people that is working for him and he's working for them but yet still trying to play basketball high level with the Lakers. It's a quite interesting thing that we see here in 2020. All right, coming up, a bit that I am completely stealing from a podcast. A lot of the a lot of talk show hosts that do what I do will lie and say that this is something that they came up with. I'm totally stealing an idea from a, a podcast that I'm going to implement here coming up in this half hour right here on UTH. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. How you doing? Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. And ESPN Chicago app, glad that you're with me here on this Wednesday night. We will talk to Barrett Jones, three-time national champion with Alabama and former Chicago Bear Barrett Jones. He's an analyst on college football for ESPN Radio. We'll get his thoughts about the upcoming draft and the Bears at 8 o'clock right here on ESPN 1000. So glad that you are with us. Uh, so, so here's what we're going to do here. And and I will tell you a little bit about our, our business. There have been so many that will listen to the radio or listen to a podcast and take a segment that seems to work or seems to resonate with that host, and that host will steal, will steal that topic or steal that talking point and put it on their show and never give credit. Welcome to our business, right? This is what it is, where it is the home of stealing, and there are no original ideas until I get on the air. Nonetheless, I will tell you point blank that I heard something uh, earlier today, and I wanted to bring it to our show because I'm a basketball fan. So I listen to Bill Simmons' podcast. Bill Simmons is a huge basketball fan, and even though he's a Celtics fan, he still is pretty fair when it comes to just the the history of basketball. And so I'm a fan. Black listens as well. So we enjoy the Bill Simmons podcast. Whether he's right or wrong is just very interesting always. Sometimes sometimes his, um, his thoughts about basketball are kind of just far-fetched, but it's entertaining. So I listened to the uh, BS podcast with uh, Bill and, and Ryan Rossillo earlier today. And they're going to go through between 1996 and 2000. They're going to do a redraft. Now, this is something I've never done before on the air as far as looking back at a draft and looking at the players that you know now. Not knowing what you know now, how would you redraft during that particular time frame? Now, Sean, you were able to see some of this on YouTube with Simmons and Rosillo, right? Yes, I definitely checked it out. I thought it was very interesting. Looking forward to it. All right, so let's you and I redraft Again, this is totally from the Simmons podcast, and I thought, okay, let me get, put my stamp on this and take a look at it. And here's why the 96 draft, because it will tell you a couple of things about the NBA. First of all, it will tell you about, this is, again, related to the Jordan conversation we had in our last half hour. It relates to where the NBA was and how the NBA was turning, because the Bulls were on the precipice of another three-peat during this time in 96, and just how the NBA was about to change, either for the better or for the worse. So, Sean, give me a little, let's give us a little music here, and let's go back and forth here about the 1996 draft. Okay, do you want to start, or do you want me to start? You go right ahead. Okay, so... Let me just go through the names real quick of that 96 draft for people that don't know. In this 96 draft were players like uh, 
Jermaine O'Neal and Tony Delk and Steve Nash. Kobe was there. Uh, Todd Fuller from NC State. Um, Antoine Walker, Chicago's own from Mount Carmel in Kentucky. Ray Allen, Stephon Marbury, Sharif Abdul-Rahim, uh, Marcus Canby, Allen Iverson, Roy Rogers in this draft. Um, you know, amongst the Walter McCarty from Kentucky also in this draft. So what we're going to do is redraft. You know, we see this list here, and if we had to do it all over again, how would we look at it? So in the 96 draft, what I would do is my first pick in the 96 draft, Sean, would be Kobe Bryant. My question to you is Philadelphia took the first pick. Kobe was from, not he's from Italy, but he he's from Philly. His father played in Philly. Why didn't the Sixers take Kobe at one? I think it was still an era where straight from high school was a lot of skepticism surrounding it. LeBron James had not come along where he was the surefire number one pick no matter where he was playing on the planet Earth. I think there was a little bit of skepticism still. Uh, Kevin Garnett had gone before uh, Kobe mm-hmm. Bryant straight from high school, but he still wasn't taking number one overall. So I, I understood Allen Iverson being taken number one overall. I mean, what he, the show he had just put on at Georgetown and resurrecting that program because it, Georgetown was on its way to being almost dead until True. they got Allen Iverson. A different standard for John during that time. Oh, he, he definitely took, he definitely <laughs> took a player that was totally different from the players that he was. He, he, he was no Sleepy Floyd. I'll put it like that. Sketchy. He, he, he was trying to win. He didn't care about Alex Bass uh, in uh, in Virginia. Okay. So, who, what's your number one pick? If you had to do it all over again in 96. Uh, at 96, I'm taking Kobe Bryant. No, no doubt about it. I'm going to follow the Michael Jordan uh blueprint that the Bulls laid down. I'm going to take that two guard and build around him. And I think if they take Kobe Bryant in two or three years, they probably would have been in the uh, NBA Finals just like they were with Allen Iverson, but they would have had more staying power with Kobe Bryant. That's that's good. Yeah. Uh, after after Jordan in that championships, now you're looking at Philly because well, Kobe's developing at that time. Yep. Now we're talking about a, a year four, year five of Kobe. Now we're looking at something right there. All right. What is your second pick in the draft? My second pick, the Toronto Raptors. I think at this spot right here, a lot of people would say Steve Nash, uh, maybe even Marbury, but they had just drafted a point guard that was the NBA Rookie of the Year. They had Damon Stoudemire. So I think they go to the wing player, and I think out of Connecticut, they take Ray Allen, the sharpshooter, to go along with Damon Stoudemire. Now, in the real draft, it was Marcus Camby from UMass, and Marcus Camby was solid for Calipari at UMass. He's a really good player during that time. I remember that very well. Um, So I also have Ray Allen averaging 18.9 points a game. And here's what we got to know about Ray Allen. Ray Allen, the only thing about just Jesus Shuttleworth and just the movie, he had three or four different acts as a player, right? I mean, different from Milwaukee to Miami, Boston, the places that he went, Davis, he, I mean, he paid dividends in a big way everywhere he went. He Even at the end, he went out while he was still hot. He could have still uh, hooked on with some team, a championship team, and really helped them. And don't forget, he was coming off fantastic performances in the Big East Championship game. He and Allen Iverson both put on the show. Uh, Ray Allen had the game-winning shot, and then he dropped 40 against UCLA in an Elite Eight loss that year as well. So 
Absolutely, Ray Allen was on fire in that NCAA postseason. I think they definitely would have taken him. Okay, so we're redrafting the 96 draft on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. So uh, we're in lock and step, Kobe and Allen, 1-2. The third pick in the draft was Sharif Abdurrahim for Vancouver. And if I'm redrafting, Allen Iverson goes to Vancouver. Now, here's the thing about Allen, and I'm not trying to diss Allen Iverson because Allen Iverson culturally meant a lot to the NBA during a time where David Stern was trying to get more butts in seats. Remember, there was a lull there, Sean, with the NBA where people weren't sure after the mouse in the palace whether or not they should go back to the to the games or not. Yeah. The ratings started to sag, and so that's when Stern brought in so like the uh, where he had to dress up the dress code thing, and Allen was like, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so the, he was able to usher in the hip hop culture. But can I tell you, like after he was 30, 31, ah, no, let's say when he was, was 30 with the Sixers, that was the beginning of the end. Like that Denver Iverson, Memphis Iverson, that wasn't, he went to Detroit, I want to say for a cup of coffee for 50 games. I think that was the beginning. Like Iverson was very good. But Iverson was that guy, kind of like we see Westbrook now, in which he got to a finals, but it was about trust. Who and and look at that roster is like who's going to trust Eric Snow, you know? But like, but <laughs> right. you know, but but the whole thing is like they didn't give him the talent around him. And then on top of that, I don't think Allen was trying to pass. I just don't think he was trying to make a. He made himself better, made the team better, but did he make others better on a regular basis? I would say no. Well, from his background, he probably had a problem trusting authority figures he probably had a problem trusting people around him and that's just from off the court and just knowing his situation so that type of mindset definitely spilled on the court and he tried to do everything on his own which ended up hindering him along the way in his career so he would he would have been fighting to get out of vancouver oh absolutely <laughs> absolutely that was an expansion team <laughs> he would have been trying to fight out i mean it's one thing he went to philly and he did well there but he would have been trying to get away from like antonio daniels yep. and all those guys and sharif sharif wasn't uh, drafted at the time so who would you have at three for your See, list you, you lead me right into my pick it's an easy pick for me steve nash straight out of santa Clara. he's from canada you get him in there Run that pick and roll with big country, and he really had nobody in front of him. I mean, who was in front of him? Moochie Norris and Greg Anthony. <laughs> Steve Nash. Like <laughs> he gets mad. That's an easy pick. I mean, wow. they were they were definitely low on talent on that roster at that point in time. You, you had did Lawrence not, but, Moulton and Greg yes. Anthony, Moochie Norris. It's, big country was your star player. But you okay? You could say that now. Yeah, you can. You're right. But that, but that late night West, like that big Monday West Coast feed, where you're watching Santa Clara, like uh, you give him credit because he's a two time MVP, and that's a whole different c- podcast right there. By the way, Steve Nash's two time MVP is that what the league needed, or did he really earn it? Let's just be honest. Okay, we can talk about that. Uh, all right. So, but Steve Nash at three as a Canadian. And he proved himself because of his longevity in the league, 18 years in the league. So, okay, so so you got Steve Nash for your third I have pick. Steve Nash revitalizing the game or keeping the game. You know what? They still might be in Vancouver if Steve Nash went there. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. I have Nash fourth going to Milwaukee. Now, Stephon Marbury uh, out of Georgia Tech was for 
uh, in the real draft, but in the redraft, I would have Steve Nash at four. I just think that with him coming from Milwaukee, you know, and we can go back and forth on Nash and Marbury and the type of players that they were, but I thought that Nash would be solid there at four. This one right here, I'm still debating. This is like I'm waiting until like 30 seconds on the clock to take the card to the commission. Mm-hmm. And it's between Allen Iverson and Stephon Marbury. And I just think they already had Big Dog. And if you put Allen Iverson with Big Dog Robinson, I don't know if you have enough shots to go around. <laughs> I just don't. I just don't. And don't forget, right, at that point in time, they had a very good Vin Baker on the box yeah, who yeah, was yeah. playing very well. And their six-man, Armin Gilliam, yeah. was a very good six-man at the power forward position as well. So they had points in the paint. They had Big Dog on the wing. Did you really need a smaller player out front? commanding the ball and dribbling the ball as much as Allen Iverson did. I'm going to go ahead and give the card to the commission, say Stephon Marbury. Wow. Wow. Going to throw a wrench right here in the 96 draft. Wait just Stephon Marbury goes to the Wait. Milwaukee What are Bucks. you saying? Wait a minute. <laughs> it must be because he's got 10 million masks that he's trying to get from China. That's why you just you just do a give. You just got the feels because Marbury's got the masks. He's a proven winner in the CBA hood and <laughs> the in the shoes. Yes, that's what you. That is something. Wow. He of the ten dollars wow. shoes, the wow. affordable shoes for the young kids. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to go with the guy that I think would play much better with Big Dog and the post players they had. Okay. I brought him in for the workout. I spoke to him face-to-face, both of them, Allen Iverson and Marbury. And the whole practice conversation just didn't go well with Allen Iverson. Okay. Yeah, didn't go well. Okay. Well, see, I have Bryant, Allen, uh, Ray Allen, Allen Iverson, Steve Nash at four. Uh, that would be my choice for Steve Steve Nash at four, and then my next choice is Stephon Mar- Marbury at five going to Minnesota, and and Minnesota took Ray Allen by the way, and that was a trade if I'm not mistaken. So there was a trade between Minnesota and Milwaukee. That's right. That's yep. right. So so yeah. So I I would have Marbury at five there, uh, going to Minnesota. Now, Minnesota, you already had the Vikings, you already had Prince. In the music scene, I'm going to go ahead and put the big ticket, Kevin Garnett, that was already there. I'm going to put him with the answer. You're talking about selling tickets at the Target Center? Yeah. Yeah. Allen Iverson and Kevin Garnett definitely would have set the city of Minneapolis on fire. Yeah, I like that. So I'm going with Allen Iverson at the fifth pick. Okay. Six was Antoine Walker from Boston. Um, Something was going on with Antoine toward the middle, like... And I, I agree with the assessment that Antoine might have lost some confidence there. You know, Antoine, in this the Patino system, they just shot a ton of threes. You remember this, right? Like, yeah. I mean, you talk about threes now. They shot a lot of threes in, in, while Antoine was at Boston. And Antoine was a guy that could do it all out of Kentucky in his, in his first few years in the NBA. Then he wasn't a great free throw shooter toward the end of his career. And I, I don't know. I just... I'm, instead, I'm going to go, even though Antoine Walker was chosen sixth in the real draft, I'm going Marcus Camby at six. I thought Camby, as I mentioned, was a solid player. Think about Camby, 17 years in the league. And I've learned this from the podcast. Do you know Marcus Camby in t- 10 years in a row was one one and done in the uh, first, round of the dra- uh, first round of the tournament? First round of the playoffs, he was one and done for 10 straight years. Wow. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's hard to that's beat. That's a heck of a stack. That's hard to beat. You're right. That's hard to beat. <laughs> what is uh, so? I, I chose at six. So six, you have Camby. Yeah. What do you have? Yeah, I'm gonna go the big man route as well. I, the two players I brought in to talk to were Paige Stoyakovich and Sharif Abdul Rahim. Mm. And uh, I'm gonna go ahead and put my faith in uh, Dana Barros and his three point shooting. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna take a guard. Uh, Paja would have definitely extended the floor for us and gave us driving angles. But I'm going to go uh, with Sharif Abdul-Rahim because he probably would have reminded me of Kevin McHale. It's all right. I would have thought, yeah, I got me another big man down here in the box that can score points. And he was definitely a safer pick back then. So, he was yeah. Our, yeah, 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 fine. Yeah, Sharif Abdul-Rahim. Yeah. Okay. So now we go to seven. The real draft was Lorenzen Wright from Memphis. And I wrote down Antoine Walker there. There's where Antoine Walker is for me at seven. Number seven for me is Jermaine O'Neal. Mm. Jermaine O'Neal. He just signed, he he seems like a Clipper. And and just give him the the benefit of the doubt here. Jermaine O'Neal had a very interesting career. He was in the league for 18 years as a big, and not necessarily like a you know the stretch four or five you see right now. Jermaine O'Neal lasted a long time in the league. High school, right? Out of high school? Straight out of high school. And yeah. definitely those wasted years in Indiana where they had all the turmoil with all those players getting into fights on the court and off the court in clubs. They just ruined their window of opportunity to win a championship. So I definitely think his career was uh, thrown off track. Not just because, basically not because of his actions, but the actions of his teammates surrounding him. He is this generation's, or, or what we see now with Tyson Chandler, he's still hanging on. Tyson's still in the league on the bench. Yeah. Right? So yeah. Jermaine O'Neal, 18 years. Give him credit. Like, I didn't. Now, if we were to redraft it, he'd be eighth. Ninth on my list is Peja Stoyakovic. Um, during the times, Peja, you got to remember his time with Dallas was pretty good, too. 13 years in the league. Peja was the guy that can knock down the three. So, in a specialist in that regard. So, he'd be nine on my list. We're right in step with each other. Peja Stoyakovic is definitely, you look at that roster. That's what they needed. They needed shooting. And he would have been perfect. He would have been the second coming of Drazen Petrovic that they had tragically lost. Mm-hmm. So Peja would have been perfect for the New Jersey Nets right there. There's a lot still on this board here. There's Eric Dampier and Samaki Walker are his bigs. Kerry Kittles is nice at Villanova. Nice, but not great. Lorenzen Wright did spend 13 years in the league. Um, but I went down... John Wallace was nice too for Syracuse. He he could have been better, John Wallace at Syracuse, because um, I liked him in college, but was never great in the NBA. So I dug deep and went all the way down to twenty four and got Derek Fisher. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> Derek Fisher laced. Hey, nobody knew Derek Fisher could do what he did. Did you think a guy from Little Rock would have an eighteen year career? No. I mean, come Not on now. Right, so I, I take D. Fish at ten on that on that list. Did you take Kerry Kittles? What did you do? I say you said that we're at nine, right? Uh, let's see the Dallas Mavericks because we just put Page on the Nets. Yes. Eight. Yeah. Okay. So Derek Fisher is nine. Nine. Yes. Okay. I looked at that Dallas Mavericks roster. That's the roster with Jay Kidd, Jim Jackson, Mashburn. I'm going to go ahead and take the shot blocker to secure the inside and the interior on the defensive end. This is where Marcus Camby falls for me. Hmm. Right here to the Dallas Mavericks. Good player. Yeah. It lasted a long time. Maybe he could have refereed the fights over Tony Braxton. Okay. 
see that's that's not right um and so uh lastly on the list is uh zadrunas elgaskis mm, you snuck big z in in the top 10 yeah well okay. i mean look at his activity around the rim yeah easy baskets around the rim and uh, you know for a big guy it was mobile was around the league 12 13 years so it's you know solid player now i'm taking him over walter mccarty I'm taking him over Vitaly Potapenko, who was not great. Smocky Walker, Eric Dampier. Kerry Kittles was nice, though. That was a tough one because I like Kerry Kittles. He just didn't last in the league very long. Uh, but that's – and you notice I didn't put Sharif on my list. Oh, I, I, I just peeped that. Yeah. I thought Maybe I need a refresher, but I don't remember him being that good. <laughs> I'm going to top it out with my guy, local legend right here from Mark Carmel, Antoine Walker. He's going to go number 10 to Indiana, stay nearby. And get beat up by the central. I don't. You know what? That's interesting. If he had gone to Indiana and that system, because Donnie Walsh is really good at bringing in players, develop, developing them, putting great coaches around them that would bring out the best of their talents. Because they had Jermaine O'Neal, high school of Jonathan Bender before he got hurt. Sure. Was another high school player that looked like he had a great career in front of him, in front of him before his leg and foot problems. So. The uh, Bulls, by the way, took, was drafted 29th in that list. They were 29th, and they uh, they took Travis Knight out of UConn when there was quality there like uh, Othella Harrington, who eventually ended up being a Bull, right, during the bad years? He did. He did. Okay, so, did. so <laughs> they could have they went and got Othella Harrington. There wasn't a tough, a, a lot after that. Like a Moochie Norris or Jeff McGinnis, who you think Jordan would have asked for Jeff McGinnis because he went to North Carolina, but yeah, so the Bulls ch- cho- chose 29th there and they got Travis Knight. So this shows you that it's, it, it's an exercise of looking at Kobe Bryant, what could have been, he should have been the first pick, but it was Allen Iverson, followed by Marcus Camby, Sharif Abdul Rahim, Stephon Marbury, and Ray Allen. Those are your top five in that draft. And again, a lot of talent in that, in that draft, right? Definitely a good role player. Well, a guy that ended up being a great role player for the Utah Jazz on a championship or NBA Finals teams was uh, Shandon Anderson from Georgia. Shandon Anderson was, he was picked a nice up player. at fifty four. He was a very nice role player. Really nice yeah. player. Drew Barry's on this list as well. As well yeah, <laughs> I see. He's in the second round. So, uh, and by the way, and Malik Rose, my guy from Drexel, my guy, solid. Yeah, my guy. Solid for the Spurs. He was in the, in the second round. All right, coming up, we will talk about the Bears in the NFL draft. Who are the best? Who's the best quarterbacks that we should be looking for in this upcoming draft? And is the wide receiver core really that deep? We'll get into that coming up next, right here on Under the Hood. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.